Welcome to this episode of How To Be Bold. If you're anything like me, you absolutely devour interviews with ambitious and successful women. And I'm always interested to know what their secret is. Is it getting up at 5am and working their ass off or sometimes just sheer luck? It is, of course, different things for different people. But one trait has stood out to me that all the women I admire possess. They're bold. I'm Emma Dean and I'm going to be exploring how to be bold with women who, for me, epitomise that very word. Whether going for a promotion, leaving a secure job to pursue a dream career, overcoming a trauma, or standing up for themselves or others. In their careers and professional lives, they've taken risks, been confident and courageous. And we've all had times when we've looked back on a situation and wished, if only I'd been more bold. So we'll be exploring those times too, and what we can learn from them. I've been so excited to record this episode with my next guest. Anna Blackwell is an adventurer, writer, photographer, and speaker. She has pursued numerous adventures, from kayaking across Europe, spending five weeks trekking across the wilderness of Arctic Sweden alone, to walking 1,000 miles solo across France and Spain, and even hitchhiking to Morocco. Anna has to be one of the coolest people I've ever met, and in this episode, she talks about her love of the outdoors, and why we should all be pushing our limits. It absolutely isn't every day that you meet an adventurer. I think you probably are a unique breed. And maybe there's more of you than we necessarily know about, like lurking out there. But can you kind of start by just explaining how you got started? Yeah, well, I'm not entirely sure how it came about. I, um, back on my gap year, so I was 18, I went out to Costa Rica. um, And part of what I was doing there was this trek. And it was about three weeks long. And... At that stage, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done, uh, physically and sort of mentally and emotionally as well. Um, I was very much outside my comfort zone for a lot of it. Um, And it was really hard work, but we got to the end and I was in a group of, I think there were about 14 of us, including two leaders, all sort of 18 to 20 year olds. And I just so distinctly remember everyone else in my group crying tears of relief that this horrendous ordeal was over. And I was sitting inside crying my eyes out because I was so devastated that it was over. So I got to the end of doing that trek and I thought, that was great fun. Um, Yeah, it was hard work, but it was one of the most rewarding things I had ever done. Um, And I knew that I wanted to, I don't know, do something else, something along those sort of adventurous travel lines again. Um, So the following year, kind of by chance, I ended up hitchhiking to Morocco with a couple of guys I was at uni with. Um, and though that wasn't a physical journey, that was still very adren- adventurous. Yeah, a very brave thing to just yeah. go out and do. <laughs> um, but it was really great fun, and I think one of the best bits of that was um, opening up to the kindness of people, because um, we were fully reliant on people to get us to Morocco. And then the year after that, I walked 500 miles across the north of Spain uh, along the Camino, and that was a bit of a turning point. Um, I went out there by myself, travelled out to Spain by myself, and then met a couple of people who I did it with. Um, but ultimately, it was a quite a solo personal journey. And I had done it because I wanted to challenge myself. And I got to the end, and I was like, damn, that was not hard enough. Like, that, I, I was expecting it to be much tougher, but I had a lot of fun. So I was like, okay, I need to make this harder. And the following year, I went back and walked a thousand miles by myself across France and Spain, and that I didn't do with other people, so I was very much by myself. 
And that was the first one that I was blogging about. And I started off just writing to share it with sort of friends and family. But I sort of gained a small following through that and then realised that I really loved sharing my experiences uh, with with uh, other people. And But again, I thought it was going to be really tough and challenging. And it wasn't. I just loved it. It was uncomfortable at times. I got bad blisters and uh, it was ridiculously hot. I was stalked by heat wave, all these sorts of things. But through all of that I just loved it um and then went on to do other other big challenging trips over the years and every year I've sort of gone on to do something big um and I've continued to blog about them um I started to write about the smaller things that I was doing uh while I was working in a conventional office job and then I got to the stage where actually I was in a position to leave that conventional office job and start making a small living uh but full-time living out of being an adventurer which is just a dream it is yeah I mean it's hard work but I absolutely I can't I can't quite believe that I am where I am already um I kind of thought that I would I didn't have to wait until I was about 30 to to actually get paid for anything in this industry um but I'm you know getting paid AK. I'm being taken seriously and fantastic opportunities are coming up and do you think that's because of kind of the, your use of social media from quite an early stage in, in your adventures? Yeah, definitely. And I think because of how it evolved as well. So it's always been a very genuine thing for me. I've never been sharing or posting to sort of gain followers for the sake of having followers and like exposure and publicity. I've been sharing my adventures because I genuinely enjoy doing that. And I love being on adventures and I love sort of connecting with people along the way and also sort of online. Um, and hopefully sort of encouraging and inspiring other people to either go on adventures or find something that they are passionate about. So I think, yeah, through doing it in quite an authentic way. Um, I think it is the authenticity that up. really shines through. But you've, absolutely, you've got such a talent of kind of bringing the story to life and making it feel like you're on that adventure with you. And I think the thing that really brings people in as well is your use of photography you've got that other talent yeah. <laughs> that yeah. you're kind of showcasing at the same time as well. Do you think that's kind of helped people kind of identify your sort of, I don't use the word brand necessarily, but it is kind of yeah. your, how you're promoting yourself. Yeah, definitely. And again, photography is one of those things that I never thought I would sort of be making any sort of living out of. I always enjoyed photography and I got my first camera when I was uh, 16, I think it was my 16th birthday present, uh, and studied photography uh, when I was in sixth form as well and always loved it but my school sort of discouraged me from pursuing it because it wasn't an academic subject oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so, so it kind of got sidelined what an being an adventurer no, I know. well academic. they love it now they, they sort of <laughs> going into PSHE sessions and assemblies and things which is quite interesting because it's yeah. definitely not something that I was encouraged into at, uh, at school but I quite, I quite like that yeah definitely <laughs> And, I mean, it sounds like you find all of these kind of pursuits actually relatively easy, but there must be some, like, physical training that kind of goes into preparing for kind of these 500 miles. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so, actually, for the 500 miles and walking 1,000 miles, I didn't do that much training. I did go off and uh, I completed a five-week solo trek across the wilderness of Arctic Sweden uh, the year that I graduated from uni. And for that one, I did train um but that was also slightly procrastination from revising my finals at uni uh which just complemented what i had planned quite nicely for the kayaking expedition um kayaking from london to the black sea in romania uh there was a lot of training for that one six months of quite intensive 
gym and uh, kayaking sessions. So let's talk about kayaking the continent. Yeah. <laughs> How do you even start thinking about kayaking the continent? Where does that idea come from? So it was Kate's idea, uh, my kayaking partner. She, um, I feel like I know her story so well now. So she was on her gap year, uh, she was in Canada, and she was poring over these maps that she found uh, of Europe. And she, through looking at these maps, realized that you could literally connect to the whole continent using just rivers and waterways. Um, and Kate was always a rower growing up. Um, she rode throughout school, she competed to a high level. And she, so, you know, she had this affinity with rivers, but she didn't want to row it because rowing you go backwards. So she thought, hey, kayaking, that way you can go forwards and actually, you, you know, <laughs> yeah, looking around you better. <laughs> Um, so yeah, she sort of came up with the idea, um, and then it was, I think it was about a year later, she actually started to take it seriously, and posted an advert online, which I responded to, and uh, yeah. Where do you, where would you find somebody that would go on a kayak <laughs> on the continent, if you, if you were looking for a partner in crime? Uh, so I found her through a website called Explorers Connect, which is, a, it's essentially a expedition and adventure teammate finding platform um so loads of adverts and things and you were raising money right while you were kind of doing this five month kind of adventure yeah we were raising money for pancreatic cancer action in memory of kate's dad and we set out aiming to raise twenty five thousand pounds and we actually raised over that before we even left london uh so we've managed to raise about fifty eight thousand pounds so far yeah we are completely blown away by that the generosity of people but I think people would you know if when people the baseline was you used to kind of being approached to give money to friends running the marathon or something like that which even for me is I just I just kind of an unachievable pursuit oh no well the same for me the sort of running a marathon oh my gosh I honestly don't think I could do that um yeah I think I think the fact that we were doing something different um I mean it was technically a world first um and quite a novel idea as well so I think people yeah Quite liked it, jumped on board with it quite nicely. And how about did you, how did you go about kind of raising money? Um, was it, did you have to do fundraise beforehand or did you kind of raise money along the way? Um, so we did most of it through uh, social media and the wider media. We didn't have any sort of fundraising events. We had a small leaving party uh, in Oxford before we set off. Um, but that was sort of friends and family and it was actually more just as a, a leaving party rather than a fundraiser. But the rest of it was just through, yeah, promoting ourselves fairly ruthlessly um, for those five months. Uh, so we had a lot of people who, well, friends and family, of course, and then people who heard of us. We had a lot of people sort of sharing our story. Um, and then it was uh, in a couple of local and national papers and things. We went on radio and uh, we were on TV a couple of times. But we did, I think, the one of the best things actually was the people along the way who did donate to us and we got talking to them either people on boats who we were sort of on the river with or passers-by uh who saw these two girls in a huge kayak obviously doing something a bit uh, a bit different uh who would strike up a conversation and then um write down our website and a few days later we'd get a, an email saying they're donated which is always just so lovely it's incredible and i think actually one of the things i love most about your kind of stories around your adventures is the generosity and the kindness of yeah. the people that you meet without a doubt the that was one of the highlights of the whole expedition everything that we went through the the people that we got to meet and the amount of generosity and support that we received on almost a daily basis like whenever we were in need of something even when we weren't in need of something there were people there to offer their help and support 
uh, from sort of planning the expedition because um, it was made possible through sponsors, financial and sort of equipment sponsors. Um, so we had that generosity and support, but then even like while we were away, people just doing whatever they could, whether that was giving us a packet of peanuts or inviting us for dinner and showers on their boat or letting us sleep somewhere or camp in their garden. It was phenomenal. And were you naturally quite a trusting person, do you think? Were you just kind of, did you take people on face value? Yeah, I think, so I've done a lot of travelling and that has taught me that on the whole, people are good and they want to support you and help. It's only very rarely that you come across someone who doesn't have such good intentions. But it takes, it does take quite a lot for me to, I don't know, be made to feel really uncomfortable. So I know if I do have that kind of gut reaction where I don't think something's okay, then I will trust that fully um, and sort of walk away from that situation. But I never had that feeling the whole time we were away. Wherever we were, whether that was in a really remote part of Romania or kind of in a city in Belgium, um, yeah, people were lovely. And you had so many, I guess, so many languages that you were having yeah. to kind of deal with on the way as well, just on that kind of, that, that one expedition. Kind yeah, of, I had 11 find, countries. Yeah, did you find that, that you could just kind of break through that? With the yeah, of completely. It's, it's amazing how well you can, you can communicate uh, non-verbally. Like, there was a lot of, yeah, essentially charades going on. Charades just combined with giggle fits and laughter because you realise how ridiculous you, ridiculous you look. Um, but it works. It really does work. We, you know, we managed to just about communicate everything we needed to uh, to get by. And for this expedition, we had sponsorship. Yes. So how do you even go about getting sponsorship for something oh. like this? So that was definitely one of the worst aspects of the whole thing. So we started off uh, with writing letters mainly to local companies. Um, Kate, my kayaking partner, and I are both from Oxford, so we decided to use that to our advantage. Uh, so we reached out to over a hundred local companies, generally tried to find the kind of the quite big ones, um, which we then followed up with phone calls and emails. And we had quite a few who they they bit, they took the bait. Uh, we did offer things in exchange yeah. for their support, so things like dedicated blog posts, shout outs on social media, exclusive photos of, of kit if they were equipment sponsors, um, their logo on our kayak and on our website, and we had a a flag of all of our sponsors and things um so you know we gave them incentive and of course there was also the incentive that they were supporting a charity expedition which had a a, a personal uh story to it as well so uh, fundraising in memory of kate's dad so i think that uh yeah convinced people to help us out and i suppose if you don't ask you don't get right? oh exactly that's something i have learnt that if there was ever a moment where we we're like oh should we should we go and ask that person for something or should we should we try that company and it was like, well, yeah, what's the worst that can happen? They say no, we move on and find someone else. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And the other element of kind of your, um, the kayaking um, adventure that I found really interesting was your uh, kind of work with Freshwater Watch as yes. well. And this kind of one-of-a-kind kind of data collection that you undertook. Yeah. That was really cool, actually, because we knew uh, we were spending so long on rivers and canals. Um, we just wanted to find some sort of research that we could help out with. And Freshwater Watch... Uh, so it's a research initiative of the Earthwatch Institute, and it uses citizen science, which actually I had never come across before finding Freshwater Watch. But it basically means 
uh, they use non-professional scientists. Uh, so we were helping out with the data collection um, and we simply were taking water samples every 100 kilometers and then two before and after some cities. So as you can imagine, 4,000 kilometers, that was quite a lot of water samples to be taking. Thankfully, the little uh, tubes that we were using were um, recyclable, so we didn't have to sort of carry all this bulk with us. Um, and yeah, all that data then got put into uh, an app on my phone and we were looking at chemicals in the water and how clear the water was, how fast it was flowing, if there was um, sort of foam on the surface or rubbish around, things like that. And Freshwater Watch take over and they're now analysing the data and working out what's going on. They must have been so excited when you told them what you to do. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, they've got they've got ongoing projects actually all over the world, um, but they're kind of much smaller ones where once a month a couple of people will go and take a sample of water from the same place. Uh, so this was the first time they had something that was quite as big um, as what we were doing, and it's the first time they've got uh, any sort of data from most of the countries that we paddled through. So that was really exciting to actually contribute to something quite worthwhile and quite uh, quite new um, and they are planning on writing a paper about it as well which Kate and I uh, will be contributors on which is quite exciting. That's really exciting. Yeah. So do you think this will be something that you would kind of want to continue doing when you kind of go and explore? Yeah places? definitely if I if I do any water-based trips in the future I definitely yeah it was so easy to do and it's also something that anyone can get involved with. Um, so they've got sort of school groups and local communities around the world uh, who do get involved with it, which I think is awesome. And you've been taking Benji, Benji. your kayak, kind of around on tour. Oh, uh, yeah, he's come to visit some schools with me um, uh, that I've been speaking of doing assemblies at. And I'll tell you what, the kids absolutely love him. It is so, so sweet to see because he's big. He's 6.7 metres long and weighs 40 kilos. Most probably haven't seen anything like yeah, him. Yeah, no, before. I know. So, you know, I say, I, it's, it's one thing saying, so my friend and I tandem kayak from London to the Black Sea. But I think it's only when you actually see the kayak. Um, and I feel like he's very big because I spent five months sitting in him. Um, but people see him, they're like, oh my gosh, he's so narrow. Uh, like you, how did you really spend five months in that? Where did all your stuff go? So I think it really, I don't know, it kind of completes the image, completes the story. And he really had a personality by the end of it. He was like a living thing to us. We used to kind of be paddling along and take a break to give him a hug and be like, well done, Benji, you're doing a really good job today. No, we're not. Absolutely not. <laughs> do you have kind of joint custody? We of do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So, kind of moving on to some kind of the more general questions that I ask all of the people who kind of appear on yeah. the podcast. My first one will be, um, so what does being bold mean to you? I think living decisively and following through, if there's something that you care about or that you're passionate about, it means not just talking about that, but actually taking action and following through. And if there's something that you feel strongly about, doing something about it. I know a lot of people who talk about all the things that they want to do I mean sort of relevant to me trips that they want to go on or places they want to visit or ways that they want to change their life but actually never take any actions towards that which I find quite frustrating sometimes so I think it's it's about seeing a change that you want to make and cracking on and yeah doing it and do you can you think of a time when you've kind of had to be particularly bold or was it maybe kind of your first adventure or I think Oh, probably the boldest decision that I made actually was choosing to accept a job offer 
at a law firm. Um, that was really bold because I didn't know how I felt about it. And it was something very, very different and quite scary for me. But I knew that if I didn't give it a go, then I would never know sort of what that life was going to be like for me. Um, so in a way, doing something that I didn't want to do was more bold than following through on the things that I do want to do. Um, because there were more sacrifices there for me, um, just in terms of almost my happiness, my day-to-day happiness and things. So when it came to actually leaving that job to be a full-time adventurer, a lot of people assumed that that was a bold decision for me. But that, for me, felt like such an obvious decision to make that it kind of took no thought. And it was like, well, yeah, obviously I'm going to do that. So I think, yeah, sometimes, sometimes the bold decision can be doing something that actually you're not sure about and you're a bit scared about. And actually something that would make someone like me feel absolutely terrified it's <laughs> just your absolute natural environment yeah i think so i'm quite a strange species <laughs> and what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given oh that's hard actually people generally give me advice that i don't want to hear uh generally advice is go back to your office job have a stable income who think would, about your who mortgage would say that to you? i know crazy people <laughs> they want to never be an adventurer yeah. That's hard. I think probably just advice that I've picked up from conversations with people who do similar things to me, who kind of get my mentality and mindset and understand sort of, I don't know, the motivations and passions that I have. And they're the people who say, go out and do what you want to be doing. Like, life is short. I am young. This is my one opportunity to be having a go at this when I don't have other other commitments and burdens and things like that. I've had a couple of people who have said that to me and that's always been like, yes, okay, I'll take your advice, I'll do that. Yeah, and you must have already ticked off so many things on your bucket list. Do you know what? So I I started writing a bucket list when I was about 16 and the first thing, the one thing that I put on it was that I wanted to ride a camel and sleep under the stars in the Sahara. And You're a really cool 16-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> this is before I'd done any like proper adventures as well. Um, and it was 2017 that I finally did that. And I found that bucket list. It was literally on a, on a flashcard. I think I'd been revising for exams or something and sort of come across this, this trip. And I found, yeah, I found that little thing, that, that scrap of paper that I'd written down on it. I was like, yay. But actually, my, I didn't really have a bucket list because I know... I change my mind about things very quickly um, and I very much sort of do things on a whim and then just fully jump in. So my what I want to do changes all the time. So what is next? <laughs> do you have a plan? I do, I do actually. Um, so I'm going off to Africa for a month uh, with my best friend from school. She runs a marine conservation organisation in Mozambique. And I've been saying for years that I'll go and visit her. And I'm finally doing it, but we're taking a slight detour. So we're doing a road trip through South Africa, Botswana, Zimbabwe, and then into Mozambique, uh, where she works. Uh, So I've got that lined up. Um, And then the rest of the year is slightly up in the air at the moment. I'm sort of leaving myself open to uh, opportunities that are coming up. And I don't want to commit to something and risk uh, losing out on something else I think because I had a full year uh, that was fully focused on the kayaking expedition from training and then actually doing it I'm now in this position where I'm a full-time adventurer and I can decide what I do and when I do it um, so I want to make sure I don't overcommit myself and then either burn out or just miss out on things that actually 
I would have rather done. Definitely. And what advice would you give people? If someone like me, the most adventurous really, it gets this kind of a long weekend city break in somewhere like a city I've never been before, who maybe feels like they should probably be a bit more adventurous and see the world a bit more, where's a good place to start? Ooh, it depends what sort of thing you want to do. I'd say find something that you know is outside of your comfort zone. So whether you've come across something on TV or in a magazine or on Instagram, wherever it is, if it's something that you think, that looks quite cool, but actually I don't know whether I can do it, that's a good place to start. No matter how big it is, ultimately, if you just sort of chip away at things and work your way up, even if it's terrifying at the start, you can you can end up doing absolutely incredible things that you never thought you would. I definitely never thought I would end up kayaking across Europe. And yeah, the thought at the start of it, I was like, that's totally unrealistic, but let's see what happens. So just finding that thing, it doesn't have to be like a huge adventure. It can be something much lower key, much more local. But if it's just outside of your comfort zone, then that's a, yeah, anything. And if people wanted to follow you, and yeah. I don't think this is going to be the last we hear from you, I think you're going to go <laughs> on and do some really amazing things and more world first. So if we wanted to keep track of what you're up to, what yeah. should we be looking? So I've got a website, which is annablackwell.co.uk. Uh, I'm on Instagram as at Anna Blackwell. Facebook is Anna Blackwell Adventurer. And I'm on Twitter as underscore Anna Blackwell. Fantastic. And it's worth it just for the photos alone. You get <laughs> lost in them because they're just so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Anna for joining me. I can't wait to follow her next adventure on social media. And I hope she's inspired you to be that bit more adventurous in your own life too. We have some equally fantastic women joining me over the next few weeks, so I do hope you'll listen in again. And I'd really love to hear from you. If you've got any feedback, please do rate and leave a review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at howtobebold. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening in, and till next time. <laughs>